millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Do you sometimes get the feeling that life is a little too stifling? Do you feel that perhaps you're a free-spirited animal stuck in a human body? Do you feel like a lone wolf that does not fit in society? These are the questions that this German Swiss novelist tackled in his writings. Hermann Hesse was a novelist, poet, painter, just like the Russian genius Mikhail Lermontov. Both had profound psychological crises and both had amazing insights into the human psyche. And both were amazing writers and that's where the similarities end. Lermontov died aged 26, while Hess lived to be 85 and also managed to win a Nobel Prize in Literature. So today I'll discuss his life and summarize two of his best known novels, Steppenwolf and Siddhartha. So get yourself some Swiss cheese and German sausage and German beer and let's talk about Hess. Hermann Hess was born in 1877 in what was part of the German Empire. Due to his father being born in Estonia, at his birth Hess was the citizen of both the Russian Empire and the German Empire. In addition to his Eastern European link, on his mother's side he also had a connection with Eastern philosophy in India through his maternal grandfather's Christian missionary work and in fact his own mother was born in India which influenced his writing and philosophy. His famous novel Siddhanta is a fictionalized biography of the Buddha's journey of self-actualization. Hess also grew up in a somewhat religious household and his father worked as a publishing house producing religious and educational texts. So from an early age he was curious about the purpose as well as the nature of human life. Also his grandfather, a philosopher and philologist specializing in Asian languages, encouraged the young boy to read. He showed great interest in poetry and music and had a talent for writing. So Hesse's parents were born in Eastern Europe and India. He himself was born in Kalf, southern Germany. In 1881, when he was four years old, they moved to Basel, Switzerland, and as a result, his parents' exotic tales from exotic lands shaped his identity as someone who was a stranger or even alien in Basel. This is a recurrent theme in his writing, especially in Steppenwolf. As a child, he experienced bouts of depression and took refuge in the little nature his town could afford. He spent hours observing the streets, a bridge and a river in town which provided him with vivid details for his fiction later on. He was educated in Latin as well as at the religious seminary where he learned classic Greek. But he wasn't happy, so he moved from school to school and had a tough time with his parents. 
His teenage years were the toughest as he went through rebellion, suicide attempts, and mental institution, alcohol, and smoking. In 1894, when he was 17, he became an apprentice at a clock tower factory. In the German-speaking world, apprenticeship is an important rite of passage for any person. He got bored of the mechanical and monotonous work, so a year and a half later, he changed job and became an apprentice at a bookshop where he discovered Nietzsche, who introduced him to the duality of human reason and human passion, which took him to ancient Greek philosophy and the romantic German writers such as Schelling and Goethe. In fact, the journey from making clocks to sorting books is a perfect metaphor for the shift as he moved from a deeply rational mechanical job of making clocks to poetry, Nietzschean artistic philosophy and the romanticist rebellion against science and reason in a vision of returning back to nature. And Nietzsche's philosophy also damaged his religious morality and replaced it with artistic beauty as the ultimate goal of life. These are the exact themes of Hesse's novels as escape from the prison of modern rationalistic lifestyle into the beauty of nature. He began writing poetry and his first poem titled Madonna was published in 1896 when he was 19. Two years later he published his prose collection titled One Hour After Midnight but it didn't sell. Disillusioned with Germany, he moved to Basel in 1899 to work at an antique shop. In Switzerland, every able-bodied man is required to serve a military service but due to his eye problem he was spared the compulsory military service. He wasn't in the best of health as he suffered from headaches and nerve disorder. To ease the pain, just like Nietzsche and many other romantic poets of the previous centuries, he traveled to Italy. The word romanticism has Rome in it. Today, some romanticist rebels moved to Romania, perhaps for the same reason. In 1902, when his mother died, he didn't attend her funeral. In the same year, he got lucky as one publisher published his first novel, Peter Kamizent, which was a success to an extent that Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis, loved it. The novel is about a man's search for meaning and identity and the chaos and confusion that surrounds him, sandwiched between nature and modernity. It helped the urbanized people to appreciate nature more and lead a more natural approach to their highly mechanical lives. This must have influenced Franz Kafka who saw how bleak and dark modern life had become. The success of this novel allowed Hess to become a full-time writer. But it is more than that. Now that he was financially capable, he got married and the couple nested along the Lake Constance produced three children. In 1906, he published his second novel, Beneath the Wheel, which criticizes the German education system for focusing too much on mechanical knowledge and less on personal development and spiritual growth. It's highly autobiographical as it depicts a young boy at a school that only focused on his grades and when he starts working, he feels empty on the inside. And the end is extremely tragic for the young man. In 1910, he published his third novel, Gertrude, taking more Nietzschean Birth of Tragedy style in which the appalling reason and Dionysian passion come together, but it's not his best work. Around this time, he also discovered Schopenhauer, which piqued his interest in Eastern philosophy, which also coincided with his marriage troubles. So in 1911, he traveled to Asia, visiting Indonesia, Sri Lanka, and Burma. 
but it turned out these places didn't match the romantic notion he had in his head. As Proust said, it's the imagination that makes some places more beautiful. When you visit those places, the one you imagine was far more beautiful. He returned home, but home wasn't a peaceful place either. They moved house, but it didn't solve the marriage troubles. Maybe bigger events could bring domestic peace? In 1914, Europe had enough of having too much peace, so it started a world war. Hess wasn't happy at home, so what do unhappy men do? They volunteer to fight. He registered to fight for the German Empire. Since he wasn't fit for combat, he found himself looking after the prisoners of war. Incidentally, Carl Jung, another Swiss, was doing the exact same job during the war but in Switzerland, a neutral country. While Hesse was quick to volunteer his service to German army, he wasn't nationalistic. He wrote a piece saying, quote, That love is greater than hate, understanding greater than ire, peace nobler than war. This exactly is what this unholy world war should burn into our memories, more so than ever felt before. Now we know why he went to war to escape his marital conflict back home. Tolstoy, the Russian giant, was right. Disillusioned men are always easy to recruit for war. But Hesse's message of peace brought a lot of hate. German newspapers attacked him on social media. I mean he received hate letters through the post and in the newspaper. Now you get hate messages on your smartphone. Back then you had to change houses, now you can just turn off your phone. To make matters worse, his father died in 1916, his son became seriously ill and his wife was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Now his family needed him more than Germany, so he left the army to help his family. This further worsened his psychological crisis, so he sought help from psychotherapists, and guess what? He came across none other than the man himself, Carl Jung. The two became close friends through the Jung's disciple, Joseph Lang, and the two exchanged letters frequently. This encounter had a huge impact on Hess and his creative writing. In 1919, he published Demian under a pseudonym telling the story of a man caught up between this world, which is nothing but illusion, and the spiritual world, which is the real world. This has a clear Hindu and Buddhist theme, that the world we consider to be real is nothing but illusion and superficial created by our ego. And each individual has a unique path to find God. But the novel also has Jungian archetypes and symbolism. The main character wakes up from the world of illusions to claim his real self, which Jung called the process of individuation. That same year, Hess left his family home and settled alone in a castle-like building close to the river and a couple of bridges, which resembles his childhood environment and calf. Here he also started painting just like Mr. Jung. For the first time in many years, Hess was happy, calling it the fullest, most prolific, most industrious, and most passionate time of my life. Around this time, he wrote his most famous novel, Siddhartha, which was published in 1922. It tells the story of a Nepalese Brahmin man whose journey of self-discovery allows him to achieve enlightenment through the teachings of the Buddha. Two years later, Hess was married again to a woman 20 years younger than him, this time to a singer. Two artists living together? Look what happened to Van Gogh and Gauguin. So the marriage was volatile and chaotic and didn't last very long. 
artists are more like animals because in order to be creative genius you have to tap into your inner beast that is run by chaos a century earlier schopenhauer said that the blind will obey no law but it's own to be endless chaotic and blind speaking of the inner beast in 1927 Hess turned that inner volatility into a novel and published steppenwolf perhaps his greatest novel about a man who finds himself in a tangle between a human on the outside and an animal on the inside. In the novel, Hess explores how humans have struggled between the individualistic side as an animal and the group side as a human. In other words, a lone wolf on the inside but part of a society or a hive on the outside. As a result, we all live a very lonely existence, despite being surrounded by many people. The protagonist thinks he is half-human, half-wolf from the Eurasian steppes who roams alone, but this very realization brings a psychological crisis for him. It's a depressing novel full of suicidal ideas as well as free use of drugs and explicit sex. The novel is like opening a wound and staring at it without averting your gaze. We can only find freedom on the inside because we are tamed wolves on the outside. The Buddha was right, peace only comes from within. In 1930, he published another great novel, Narcissus and Goldmund, set in medieval Germany. This was also influenced by Nietzsche's philosophy. More specifically, his first book, The Birth of Tragedy, in which he lamented Western civilization, ignoring the passionate side of human life. In the novel, Narcissus is the appalling, rational, and thoughtful character, while Goldmoon is the Dionysian, passionate character who later becomes to embody both the rational and passionate by becoming a sculptor, which requires your rational faculty as well as your passion for creativity. In 1931, Hess married again, perhaps third time lucky. A year later, he published his novel, Journey to the East, the title referring to a major Chinese classic, Journey to the West, both about discovering Buddhist spirituality. The story is about a religious sect, all made of famous fictional or historical characters, including Plato, Mozart, Tristram Shandy, my favorite, and many more, who all head to East, a journey through time and space in search of truth. However, in the real world, things were changing in Germany. In 1933, a man with a funny moustache came to power. Hess was married to a Jewish woman, so he raised concern, writing, quote, It is the duty of the spiritual types to stand alongside the spirit and not to sing along when the people start belting out the patriotic songs their leaders have ordered them to sing. Once again, the German newspapers and publishers attacked Hess and banned his books. You think cancel culture is new? It has been around since the dawn of time. So during the war years, Hess spent long hours distracting himself by focusing on writing his final novel, The Glass Bee Game, which came out in 1943 in Switzerland because the Germans refused to publish him. Why? Because he was cancelled in Germany. And three years later, the novel helped him win the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1946. So if you are cancelled, sit in a quiet room and write a novel. The novel is a kind of Bildungsroman, coming-of-age story centered on a young boy's education, mastery of the game, career rise within an order, to finally becoming the head of an organization called Castilian Order. 
The novel emphasizes discipline and order which people craved after the chaos of the 20th century Europe. After winning the Nobel Prize, Hess stopped writing novel. Perhaps he had climbed the highest mountains or lost motivation. But he continued writing essays and short stories. He also spent long hours reading letters he received after his fame grew more internationally. He died in 1962, aged 85 years old. Today, he's not only read in the German-speaking world, but around the world. He influenced many German and non-German writers. His influence went beyond literature. In music, Richard Strauss composed songs based on Hesse's writing. In the 1960s and 70s, the hippie culture further piqued people's interest in Hesse's Eastern philosophy. So many Western hippies made their Eastern journey to India in search of enlightenment and spiritual meaning. Herman Hesse published 16 novels and novellas, two short story collections, five poetry collections, and five books of non-fiction. The man was a beast of a writer. However, internationally, he is known for two of his novels. So here, I'll summarize and analyze two of his most well-known as well as most profound novels, Siddhartha and Steppenwolf. Siddhartha. Published in 1922, Siddhartha is Hermann Hesse's most successful novel. It tells the story of Siddhartha, whose spiritual awakening takes him on a journey of self-discovery. While it's very similar to the story of Siddhartha Gautama, or the Buddha as he was commonly known today, who incidentally appears in the novel as Gautama. But the protagonist, Siddhartha, is not the Buddha, but someone who lives around the same time. The title comes from two Sanskrit words. Siddha means achieve and Artha means search. So putting them together means someone who found what he was looking for. The story is set in ancient Nepal during the kingdom of Kapilavasta that ruled the area between 6th and 5th century BCE. The Buddha himself was a prince within the Kapilavasta kingdom. In search of spiritual wisdom, Siddhartha leaves his home to become a homeless wanderer and survives on whatever he gets through begging. His best friend Govinda also joins him as they get rid of their worldly possessions and live a nomadic lifestyle. Now that you don't have to work anymore, they meditate and instead of seeking food, they fast and their only preoccupation is to find spiritual wisdom. When they encounter Gautama Buddha, they are extremely impressed by the Enlightenment. Govinda is so impressed that he becomes a disciple of Buddha, but Siddhartha has a somewhat different philosophy. He thinks each person has a unique path to enlightenment, and the Buddha's path is not only unique to him and may not fit other people. Here he decides to walk alone. It's only through your own individual journey that we can find true meaning and enlightenment. Does this remind you of somebody else? Of course, I'm talking about Carl Jung, who had a very similar philosophy. As he wanders, he encounters a few people, and upon each encounter, the practical issue of money and worldly positions become very important. First, he has no money to cross a river, while the ferryman, Vasudeva is generous and kind and helps him cross without charging him, saying that he would return wealthy someday and pay him. But his encounter with an extremely good-looking woman, Kamala, tests his desire. 
The woman compliments the daughter's good look and intelligence, but demands that he ought to have excess resources if he is contemplating of becoming her lover. For her, being poor is no excuse and a real deal-breaker. A man can fight anything, but he cannot fight his desire for a woman. A beautiful woman can bend any man's will, no matter how strong he is. Siddhartha agrees to forgo his anti-materialism and become wealthy businessman, with a Ferrari in order to win her over. Maybe not a supercar, but a few oxen with carts. She sends him to work with a difficult and an emotionally volatile local businessman, where Siddhartha's patience and wit are tested. But his years of ascetic life has prepared him to be extremely patient and pliant, so he passes all and becomes very, very rich. He gets the woman and life is good. He has money, he has the most beautiful woman, and everyone respects him. As days turn into months and then years, Siddhartha starts to agitate a bit about life. A voice inside him keeps shouting at him. While he lives in luxury with a beautiful woman, there's something missing inside him. He lacks spiritual fulfillment. One day he decides enough is enough, so he leaves his hectic city life and returns to the river where he almost takes his own life. As he falls asleep, his troubled soul is only calmed with a mantra or sacred word, Om, quote, and when Siddhartha listened attentively to this river, to this thousand voices song, when he listened neither for the sorrow nor for the laughter, when he did not attach his soul to any one voice and enter into it with his ego, but rather heard all of them, heard the whole and the oneness, then the great song of thousand voices consisted only of... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A single word, um, perfection. It's here that he also meets his old friend Govinda, who is a wandering Buddhist now. At this point, Siddhartha has experienced the luxurious yet empty life in the city, so he decides to survive near the river and lead a simple life. He becomes friends with the generous ferryman, Vasudeva, also leads a life by taking expressions and cues not from people but from the river. If you listen carefully, the water tells you everything about life. It's nature, not cities, that has all the answers for human miseries and despairs. 
quote, they both listened silently to the water, which to them was not just water, but the voice of life, the voice of being, the voice of perpetual becoming. Siddhartha is content with his simple life by the river, just like a true Taoist. Then one day he recognizes a woman bitten by a snake near the river. It's his own lover, Kamala, and a young boy who turns out to be Siddhartha's own son. The snake bite turns out lethal and Kamala dies leaving the son orphaned. Jordan Peterson would love the snake in this story. Siddhartha tries to console the young boy and tries to look after him, but the boy finds a window of opportunity and makes a run for it. Siddhartha is distraught and desperately tries to find him, but the ferryman tells him that, remember, everyone must find their own unique path in life. As the two men sit by the river, watching the water glisten and listen to its endless murmurs, time flies like some magical wind. Here, Siddhartha has an epiphany. He realizes that he and the river are one. Not just that, all his emotions, happiness, despair, suffering and everything in between are nothing but the illusion of something bigger, something far greater, something beyond his control. It's part of the universe, everything is connected. This is the moment of enlightenment Stata has been waiting for all his life. Suddenly he feels peace, not just on the outside, but on the inside. He has become one with the river, one with nature, and one with the universe. Quote, River is everywhere at the same time, at source and at the mouth, at the waterfall, at the ferry, at the current, and the ocean, and the mountains, everywhere. And that the present only exists for it, not the shadow of the past, nor the shadow of the future. The ferryman Vasudeva leaves him alone saying that his job is done and now it's Siddhartha's turn to become the ferryman. Years later, his old pal Govinda returns to find Siddhartha, now an old man ferrying people across the river. He asks for wisdom and Siddhartha says that for every true statement, there's an opposite statement that is also true. What? It makes no sense. How can two opposite statements be true at the same time? Siddhartha says our language and beliefs have limited us to one truth, one God, one side of the story. Nature works in cycles. Nature has no good or bad side. It has all sides within itself. Nature is complete. It has everything within itself. Since we are nature, we also have everything within us. Siddhartha says we shouldn't cherry-pick things, but instead we must accept the world as complete. He then asks Govinda to kiss him on his forehead. As his friend kisses Siddhartha, Govinda experiences an intense vision that Siddhartha had experienced with Vasudeva years and years ago. Now both friends have achieved enlightenment that they are one with the universe, which is timeless, boundless, and a complete unit. One of the central themes of Siddhartha is that we often compartmentalize human experiences into the realm of the rational and non-rational or emotional. For his reason is not enough to truly understand reality. Neither is human emotions enough to truly experience the vastness of nature. Human consciousness encompasses far greater faculties than that of rationality. So truly understand reality, consciousness as a whole can help us reach enlightenment, not just reason or sensory experiences. It's all a package deal, so to speak. 
Hesse came from a German tradition where philosophy and science were always seen through the analytical lens, meaning everything was broken down into smaller pieces to analyze each part separately. So for instance, psychoanalysis of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung broke down human psyche into separate parts, such as the conscious, the unconscious, the ego, etc. Hesse, however, takes a holistic approach that human experience cannot be explained or attributed to one mental faculty and cannot be atomized and analyzed without considering the whole of consciousness. Hesse's approach is obviously deeply Buddhist as the title and the theme of the story resonate most with Buddhism. Another important theme is nature. Siddhartha fails to learn wisdom from people, not even Buddha himself, who is considered the ultimate teacher in the East. His true teacher turned out to be non-human, a river. It's by listening to a river that he gets his epiphany. In Western philosophy, nature has generally been seen as wild and often ugly that needs to be tamed and cleaned. However, in the East, nature and humans are very much the same thing. There is no big separation between human and nature. Therefore, Eastern philosophers base their philosophies and doctrines on nature. For example, in Taoism, river flow is a perfect metaphor for a human life that you should not resist or force things but simply flow. In Buddhism, as well as Hinduism, humans, animals, all live within the same cycle of reincarnation. Western philosophy was influenced by Judeo-Christian notion of the Garden of Eden and that we humans are exiled on earth, therefore we don't really belong here. So Hesse takes us back to nature to reconnect us with the river. By listening to water and the sound of water, Siddhartha achieves true enlightenment, that the whole universe is just one and connected. Quote, I have always believed and I still believe that whatever good or bad fortune may come our way, we can always give it meaning and transform it into something of value. While the Buddha is a great teacher, Siddhartha takes very individualistic approach to enlightenment. He doesn't follow the Buddha like his friend Govinda. Instead, he goes through his own mistakes to find enlightenment by himself, albeit with the help of ferryman and the river. Quote, Wisdom cannot be imparted. Wisdom that a wise man attempts to impart always sounds like foolishness to someone else. Knowledge can be communicated but not wisdom. One can find it, live it, do wonders through it, but one cannot communicate and teach it. So Hesse finds a synergy between Buddhism and step wolf mentality that one has to find or carve his own path in life, not follow others no matter how enlightened that teacher might be. So don't look for quick fixes in life, but make mistakes and learn from them. But most importantly, listen to nature murmuring or roaring inside you. There's a river running inside you. Steppenwolf Steppenwolf was published in 1927 in Germany, and the title comes from the German word for Central Asian wolf called Steppenwolf. As I said earlier, Hesse wrote the novel after marrying a singer, Ruth Wenger, which turned out to be an extremely tough period in Hesse's life as two volatile artistic souls found it hard to live under the same roof. Ruth had many pet animals, while Hesse had no interest in them, so they clashed and the marriage only lasted three years. While the marriage produced no kids, this novel came out after that despairing and lonely period in his life, which shows his psychological crisis as who he really was. 
whether a wolf in human clothes or a human with a wolf stuck inside him. The story is written by a middle-aged man named Harry Holler, just like Hess himself who was in his 40s when he wrote the novel. He finds himself at odds with the outside world. In other words, he feels he doesn't really belong to the world he lives in. He sees that everyone is pretentious and superficial. Now we know where J.D. Salinger got his idea for Holden Caulfield and The Catcher in the Rye, as he too called everyone phony and pretentious. Hess's novel digs deep into the modern human experience of alienation. Quote, Man is an onion made up of hundreds of integuments, a texture made up of many threads. The ancient Asiatics knew this well enough, and in Buddhist yoga an exact technique was devised for unmasking the illusion of the personality. The human merry-go-round sees many changes, the illusion that cost India the efforts of thousands of years to unmask is the same illusion that the West has labored just as hard to maintain and strengthen. I think we have all been dead. So Harry Holler is a lost man in the West. What does he do? Instead of walking into a church to find meaning, he bumps into a man handing out flyers for a magic theater. It's like meeting a man from the Jehovah's Witness who instead of giving him a book about Jesus, he gives Harry a booklet titled Treatise on Steppenwolf. So the story takes a turn away from God and religion towards our evolutionary animalistic past. We are in the Jungian territory of Switzerland after all, where the human mind has a past that we have inherited from our humans' ancestors, but also from animal species, forefathers and mothers, including wolves. As Harry reads the booklet, he realizes that it's all about him. It speaks to him literally as it addresses him by name. It tells the story of a man who believes he is half-human and half-wolf. In other words, the man is stuck between the human high and the animal low. It's a paralyzing feeling as he struggles to come to terms with the fact that he can never rise enough to disentangle himself from the animal that he is. It's like you are paralyzed from waist down and you can never run away from the mud. In his head, he dreams of clouds while his body is stuck in the ground. So in other words, we are in continuous struggle between the inner animal and the outer goal of achieving immortality as a human genius. Friedrich Nietzsche's philosophy runs very deep in the novel that only a select few can achieve greatness, which gives Harry a slight hope to continue on living despite his despair at his human-animal condition. At a funeral, he bumps into the man from the magic theater once again. He asks about the magic theater, but the man refuses to divulge information, saying it's not for everyone. Instead, the man tells him about a dance hall. Harry's not in the mood for dance. He's seeking magic for his existential crisis. Disappointed, Harry goes home, but on the way he meets a former friend who invites him to his house. They used to discuss Eastern philosophy back in the days, but now they clash on politics, specifically the friend's nationalistic sentiments. Not only that, Harry also picks a fight with a man's wife over the statue of Goethe for being too fat and not being a true representation of the genius German poet. Interestingly, a year after the publication of Steppenwolf, Hess wrote a short story in 1928 titled Harry the Steppenwolf, which tells the story of a zoo wolf named Harry, whose job is to entertain zoo visitors 
by destroying portraits and busts of German cultural giants like Mozart and Goethe. Back to the story. Harry has had enough of these pretentious friends. He leaves his friend's house and his despair turns into thoughts of ending it all. He doesn't fit anywhere. To delay his own demise, he wanders the street all night. As he walks in the dark, he comes face to face with a dance hall the stranger had told him about. We are in Dostoevsky territory now. The despairing man's soul needs a woman to heal it. At the dance hall, he meets Hermine, a woman who laughs at his despair and self-pity. Now we know where J.K. Rowling got the idea of Harry and Hermione. But more importantly, Harry for the first time goes through a kind of mixed emotion that is strange. On the one hand, he doesn't like to be mocked by a stranger woman, but on the other hand, she hits a chord inside him and he feels relief. This also reminded me of Dostoevsky's short stories, White Nights and The Dream of a Ridiculous Man, both of which I have discussed here before. Now, the friendship between Harry and Meghan, oops, I meant Harry and Hermine, develops into much more. She teaches him to enjoy life through dance, drugs, and women. Harry thought these were bourgeois indulgences, but Hermine says, don't be stupid. These are important pleasures of life, no matter how bourgeois they might be. Through Hermine, Harry also meets Pablo, who plays saxophone, who takes him to the magical theater. It turns out to be not real, but metaphorical theater. In the theater, Harry goes through a fantastic experience in which he envisions his own life through several parts of a theater with a giant mirror and many doors. Perhaps life gives us far too many choices and experiences, but we only have one imagination as a giant mirror. So we feel lost at times. So the magic theater is the human consciousness that has the ability to make us despair about life. But also it is magical and elevating us above that suffering in a different realm of existence. Steppenwolf is a novel in which Hess tries to challenge the conventional notion of what human is. Conventionally, human is somewhat moral, righteous, and good. While Nietzsche challenged that notion by arguing that greatness in the realm of art and philosophy was far more important than being morally good or socially nice. A good person only lives for now, but a great artist remains immortal. So the novel takes that notion that mortality and social conventions limit our horizon, and the magic theater opens up endless possibilities for us. The novel has been criticized for that same reason, that it is a bit too immoral too much sex and too much drug. But in reality, human evolution is as a result of many immoral acts throughout human history. In fact, species evolve through trials and mistakes. In other words, evolution is amoral, nature is amoral. So Nietzsche based his philosophy of Ubermensch artist on nature, not religion or morality. If life didn't probe and poke in all directions, we would still be tiny organisms that live in water under some rock. Quote, Once it happened as I lay awake at night that I suddenly spoke in verses, and verses so beautiful and strange that I did not venture to think of writing them down, and then in the morning they vanished. And yet they lay hidden within me like the hard kernel within an old brittle husk. Life is about exuberance, magical thinking, and constantly probing. 
Just as Nietzsche said, we have become too human, too tame, and too bland. So Hess also questions that while following societal rules and conventions, we might enjoy life more. But from time to time, we must also indulge in things that are not morally good or socially acceptable. That's how society changes. One day a drug is legal and the next day it's not. The human side of us wants order, but the animal side always seeks excitement, which necessarily creates chaos. Schopenhauer said, quote, Life swings like a pendulum backward and forward between pain and boredom. In this novel, it's between the human and the wolf, but more than that, quote, His life oscillates, as everyone's does, not merely between two poles, such as the body and spirit, the saint and the sinner, but between thousands and thousands. Steppenwolf has the romanticism of the 18th and 19th centuries work, such as in the works of Goethe, Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights, and some similarities with Jack London's Call of the Wild. It takes a psychological approach to Darwin's evolutionary biology on how we humans suffer and despair because we don't really fit in in our own skin. Hesse grew up in a family that had deep ties with both European Christian tradition and Eastern experience of living in India. His grandfather and father spent time in India as a missionary, so they were very much aware of Eastern philosophies of Upanishad and Buddhism. So Hesse was influenced by those in his family. But not just that, or perhaps because of his family connection, he was very much drawn to the works of two German philosophers known to have had Eastern leaning. Arthur Schopenhauer and Friedrich Nietzsche, both I have discussed here extensively. As a result, Hesse takes natural approach to life and philosophy. Instead of emphasizing with a Hegelian or Kantian rationalist approach, Hesse adopts a psychological approach to writing, which is very close to Schopenhauer and Nietzsche, both of whom explain the meaning or purpose of life. As it turns out, Buddhism and Eastern philosophies in general are much closer to nature than a European rational approach that often separates human from nature. In all his writings, Hess emphasizes nature as the ultimate inspiration for meaning and purpose in life. If you're lost in the city, go find yourself in nature. In Siddhartha, for instance, the protagonist gains wisdom by listening closely to a river. Not only we are from nature, but we are nature, therefore it's nature that we can find all the answers to our life's problems. One of the most influential books for Hess was Nietzsche's Birth of Tragedy, in which the German philosopher studied Greek culture through its tragedies before the Russian philosophy of Socrates. In tragedies, the Greek champion passion alongside reason as being important. In other words, Apollo, the god of reason, was counterbalanced by Dionysus, the god of passion. But when Socrates came along, he mainly focused on rationality alone, and as a result, Western philosophy somehow chopped off its passionate arm and grew its rational arm too long. This became the cornerstone of Western outcome-driven lifestyle. Hesse's writing counters this hectic lifestyle. Instead, he returns to nature, to the animalistic and natural instinct. In both Steppenwolf and Siddhartha, nature plays incredibly important roles. As a result, Hesse's counterculture writing had profound influence on the 1960s psychedelic movement and the hippie movement that took thousands of Westerners to India in search of wisdom and meaning.
In fact, the Magic Theater of the Steppenwolf gave its name to two actual theaters in America, just to show how influential his writing was. In fact, Timothy Leary, who wrote about the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which I have summarized here, also was deeply inspired by Hesse's writing. In other words, Hesse's writing hit a chord with those fed up with a hectic life in Western cities. Hesse's ultimate message in Siddhartha is that nobody can teach you how to find meaning and fulfillment in life, but your own unique journey. In other words, no teacher or guru can find meaning for you. You must carve a path of meaning for yourself. This message resonated with millions of people who read his novels. Thank you. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.